You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Amber Garza on the show with me. She has a fantastic new book. It's called Where I Left Her. And if you love thrillers the way I do, and, uh, you know, here lately, the, the last couple of years... Kind of this this genre is is kind of a default for me when I'm looking for something to read. I, I kind of naturally gravitate uh, toward toward thrillers and psychological suspense, and uh, I, there's just something about those stories that I love. And this one hits super close to home, it, you know, with with us living in the modern world and all of the uh, anxieties that come with that. And Amber has really struck a nerve with where I left her a phenomenal book. I'm recommending it to everyone. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you so much. And thank you for that compliment on my book. I appreciate oh, that. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. I, uh, it's, it's a fantastic book. Um, but Amber, before we get into talking about all that good stuff, um, we begin each show with the same question. And that question okay. is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, great question. Um, gosh, I always loved to read ever since I was little. And I used to, you know, like make books with notebook paper and staples, you know, with like a make an illustrated cover. And I would write little stories when I was a kid. But I think when I can really remember wanting to be an author was when I would when I read my first Nancy Drew book. And I remember just thinking, like, I want to be Carolyn Keene when I grow up. Like, I think I even <laughs> verbalized that to my parents. <laughs> so I think it was when I realized, like, oh, there's people who do this for a living, <laughs> you know? Right. So That's I must the... have been, like, in fourth grade or something, I think, when I started reading those. So probably I love, around I that love age. That. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, a – it's a, a funny thing that um, when you have that sort of awakening um, – because before that moment, it's it's almost like books are ethereal. They just come from from nowhere, and you know they're just right. you walk into the into the the bookstore or the library, and there's just shelves and shelves of them. And then you you kind of realize that someone is behind that, and someone right. used their imagination and you know wrote down all the words and put them in order. <laughs> right. And then right. there there are, you know a whole host of other people who get involved in the process and help to edit and then help to publish and then, you right. know, help to sell those books. And then when, when you start putting those pieces together and realize that people are behind that, then it's, it's not a far stretch to think that if random people can do that, maybe I could be one of those people. Right. Right. Exactly. Although I, I will say, I think at that time I thought, you know, you just wrote a book and then you like sent it in. <laughs> right. <laughs> to the book place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, was do you think that that Nancy Drew and and those stories are um, part of the reason uh, that you write mysteries and 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 suspense books now? 
Yes, I definitely always gravitated toward mystery and suspense. I went from Nancy Drew and then like graduated in high school to Mary Higgins Clark. And I loved, I read like everything she wrote. Um, But I think the reason that, or I know the reason that I ended up wanting to do more domestic suspense and psychological thrillers was because of Sophie Hanna. I remember reading like 10, 12 years ago, the book Little Face. And I remember reading that book and thinking like, I've never read anything like this that had like the mind bending aspect. And a lot of things were taking place, you know, psychologically, that was a lot of the suspense rather than action on the page. And I just remember thinking like, oh man, if I could write something like this, you know, (laughs) I would just be so proud of myself. And so that was kind of the catalyst to wanting to see if I could write something similar to that. And that's when I came up with the idea for when I was you. And then I sat on it for many years of honing my craft because I wasn't sure I could pull it off. Um, So I waited, like, I would say at least 10 or 12 years after reading that book before I tried my hand at when I was you. Um, But she was kind of what lended me more to the domestic suspense, psychological thriller aspect of it. So when when you say that that you had the idea and and it, it you know it was it was obviously a, a a fantastic idea because it that idea then became the book that that broke you in um right. but when you say that you needed to to hone your craft and get to the place um where where you felt like you were ready um was there anything specifically like looking back now that you can put your finger on and and say you know I needed to I needed to learn this or I needed to go on this journey before I was ready to do that can can you point to anything specific yeah well I was writing at the time um I was like indie published before I got my publishing deal with when I was you and I was writing primarily romance young adult romance mostly and I knew that world I knew that formula And I think really, I just needed to become a better storyteller and I needed to have a better sense of the story, I think, in order to write the psychological thriller, like put all the pieces into it and make it flow in a certain way. And I think I just really wanted to become a better writer in order to pull off a psychological thriller, if that makes sense. Just learning the craft of writing, continuing to write stories and seeing what was working with my writing style and what wasn't. And, um, and yeah, I just, and I think I needed more confidence. Maybe that's a better way of saying it too. I needed more confidence because I felt like I knew how to write the romance that felt safe to me. But whenever I thought of writing the psychological thriller, I thought, oh, that takes a different level of skill, you know? Right. <laughs> so I feel like I needed just to learn to become a, like a better storyteller and learn confidence in my own ability to story, to tell the story. And and, and I think that a, a lot of people have, have that experience. Like you, you know that you have a great idea and, and you just need to work on, uh, you know, all of the things to tell that story the best way that you can. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, your your story of uh, of uh, indie publishing first is becoming more and more common. Uh, you know, is the last decade has just really exploded, and and you know, I think we can uh, credit uh, Amazon and, and the Kindle, and then you know their mm-hmm. their KDP platform, um, which really opened the door for um, you know people to uh, to take you know part of this process in into their own hands and. Uh, 
right. you know, go straight to readers. Um, th- and th- and I think that's fascinating that you began that way as as well. Um, what was it that um, that got you your uh, your traditional publishing deal? So I always wanted to be honest. I always wanted to be traditionally published. I had tried for years. So I wrote my first book back when my my daughter's 19. I wrote my first book when she was two. <laughs> and I had tried for many, many years to get traditionally published and just got a lot of rejections. And I got to a place where I just kind of wanted, I, I really needed a job really is what I needed. So I decided, yeah. well, I'm going to start all these books. So I'll just start self-publishing. It worked for a while, but I always, it was always in the back of my mind, like, I would love for this to become a more secure career. I would love to see my books on bookshelves. So when I wrote When I Was You, that was kind of the book. I wrote that with the intention of finding a big five publisher. That was my goal with that book. And I had never had an intention of self-publishing it. I knew I wanted to stop doing that at that time. So I wrote When I Was You and um, I wrote down, so I had been, as I said, I had queried a lot over the years. And so I knew kind of what agents I really wanted and what were my dream agencies. I had you know, done all that research over the years. So it's pretty easy to put together a list of my top 100 dream agents. And so I did that and started working my way down. And with the first batch I sent out, I queried 49 of those agents. And um, I sent it out thinking, oh, it's probably going to be months and I'll get a bunch of rejections that had been kind of my pattern. (laughs) And then I'll try the other 50, you know, But actually, I ended up getting, within just a couple of weeks of sending those out, I got 11 requests for the full, which, if you don't know what that is, agents will request partials, which is like, you know, your synopsis and your blurb, and then like three chapters or 50 pages, whatever their their parameters are. And then the full would be your entire manuscript, which, in my experience, I had mostly been asked for partials in the past. So to ask 11 people asking for the full was pretty amazing in and of itself to me (laughs) that's outstanding uh, yeah so I thought if this is all I get then read it I'll be so happy and then um and then I ended up getting um six offers of representation from those 11 people who read that and so then I went into my agent calls and it was like I can't even describe what that week was like for me because I was like a constant state of like walking on clouds um, all of them were dream agents. So it was just an amazing experience, even just to talk to them and have them like my work. Um, and I ended up going with my dream, dream agent. And, and then she got me my deal. We started working on edits of that book. I think it just took us maybe three or four weeks of working on edits. And then she pitched it. It went to auction a month later and it sold to Mira. <laughs> that is, so that is amazing. Fast. It all happened very fast once it happened after 15 years of trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and, and every overnight success has like 10 or 15 years, you know, of, of right. building up to that overnight success, which is hilarious, <laughs> you know, when you, when you think about that. Um. So so when I was you was the book that really um, uh, made your mark. Did, do you feel like that you learned anything from from that time indie publishing and, and getting your books out there and then probably getting feedback from readers and mm-hmm. and you know f- figuring out what worked and what didn't work um you know because that that was absolutely not wasted time um no it th- wasn't. that was that was time that 
that you know you use to 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 build your back catalog and and to to hone your craft um right were there things that um you know looking back now at uh you know when i was you were there things that that you learned specifically that that led you to that point yeah for sure i think the main thing i learned from self-publishing was that prior to self-publishing when I was always querying I was always thinking like how do I pitch this you know or or I was writing a book to pitch it does that make sense so I was always thinking about the editor or the publishing company or what was the new trend or and when I self-published what was really cool about it was I no longer thought that way I thought I'm going to write the best story for my readers and I started to learn what the readers really liked and what kind of story grabbed the readers And once I started writing to an audience, that is really when I learned to become a good storyteller (laughs) because I was no longer thinking, oh, this is going to work because this is different or this is on trend or this is what publishers are picking up. It was like, this is a good story that my readers are going to (laughs) like, you know, and so it taught me that. And then the other thing self-publishing really taught me was the art of the hook, because when you're self-publishing, you're doing all your own marketing, writing all your own blurbs. And I learned how to write a hook that would draw my readers into wanting to read that book, which ultimately helped me write a really strong query letter (laughs) and um, and be able to talk about my book in just a few short sentences, which I never could do before. (laughs) So authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. What Death Taught Terran by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey 
through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found this story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden on sale now. There's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, people that um, that talk about writing to market and and um, it, a lot of advice going around. And, and I think people misunderstand that sometimes um, because when when you talk about writing to market, you, you do need to know um, kind of what what genre things work. Um, what people are expecting when you say this is a psychological suspense, right. what are some of the the ground rules? Um, wh- what what I don't think works is trying to figure out what the next big thing is going to be and then go write that book because right. that is that is futile. That is you will, right. you know, bang your head against the wall trying to figure out what's going to excite readers next. And and I love that that you said it, it came down to writing for readers, writing um, books that people were just going to love. And, and, mm-hmm. and part of that goes to character. Um, how, how important was it for you to, um, to learn to develop um, characters that, that we care about? Um, because like, it, you know, where I left her, we, we immediately, um, you know, fall into um, it, in, in, we fall into step with Whitney because we can relate to her. Um, mm-hmm. And then you you feel for her as she's going through what she's going through because um, you know her situation could be any one of us. Like, what what do you think about character when when you're beginning a book? Yeah, I think it's the most important thing to me is the is really understanding the characters like myself personally. So I go through a lot of character work in my books, and usually if I hit like what I call writer's block. If I hit a point where I'm like, oh, what is, I call it writer's block, but I continue to write <laughs> every day, <laughs> but I'll hit a place where it feels like writer's block. Cause I feel like I'm not connecting. And so usually at that point I'll know, oh, I have to do some more character work. I have to figure out why I'm not connecting to this character. And um, so I'll spend some time writing backstory that never ends up in the book or just doing free writes about the character. And, and sometimes I'll just spend a week not writing, but just trying to think through like, you know, what is this character's motivation? What else is going on with this character? Like outside of this, you know, plot, horrible plot I put them in, <laughs> you know, like outside <laughs> of this mystery, what was this person going through prior to this? Um, and then often what I'll do is I'll try to bring pieces of myself into the character to help me connect with them. So um, I didn't necessarily always do this in my romances, but this is what I've been doing as I've been writing my thrillers. I'm um, always like two books ahead of you guys. <laughs> so I'm on my fourth one right now. And so um, with my thrillers, I feel like I have to find something in each of my characters that feels like very authentically me. Um, if I can find that place in them that ties to me, then I feel very connected. And then I can navigate more with that character, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, 
that just that for I don't know what works for other people but that just always works for me I just have to feel like in some way I can really connect deeply to them well, speaking of writing thrillers, um, when when you begin a project uh, and and you're you know meeting the characters as as they're all kind of new and and trying mm-hmm. to figure out what kind of trouble to put them in, um, what are some of the ground rules that that you think about when you know okay this story is going to be a thriller, something is going to happen and it's going to keep the readers on the edge of their seat and keep them guessing. Um, uh-huh. How how do you start thinking about you know the 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 elements that make a story fit into a particular genre, like, you know, um, maybe a romance book, or are there certain ground rules for that as opposed to this book is going to be a thriller. It's going to need to hit, you know, these certain elements or points. Yeah. I mean, I think for a thriller, I just want to make sure that I'm like, that it's constant, there's constant suspense, right? Like the reader can't, in my mind, I think, I don't want the reader to ever have a good place to stop reading this. <laughs> yeah. So that's like the main thing I think about a lot is like, I don't always think about it in the, I actually don't think about it in the rough draft, but in about the second or third draft, I start thinking, okay, how's my pacing? Um, I don't want there to be a good swap, stopping spot. And then um, the other things I try to think is a lot of, um, like, where am I letting people in on the secrets that I know from the beginning? Like, how am I kind of piecing that out nicely throughout the book? Um, am I giving enough clues? Am I giving enough red herrings? I think the most important piece I like to think about is I always know there's going to be in my books, like two or three twists at the very end. And I am a huge fan of the third act twist. So I try to find one of those for my books. But at but a big piece to me is I want to make sure that when the reader gets to there, they feel like, ah, that's crazy. But then they're like, oh, okay. I can see that she gave me all those clues. That's a very important piece to me. I don't want them. To, I don't want a reader to ever feel blindsided by my twist. Um, but I do want them to feel surprised. And then I want them to be able to flip back through the book and go, oh, I see now she gave me all those little clues. <laughs> right. Um, Amber, I love to hear people um, talk about uh, where a where a story idea begins, kind of that mm-hmm. that moment of birth for it, because at at one moment where I left her does not exist in any form or fashion. And then, right. you know, either a character, maybe it's Whitney uh, walks you know onto the stage of your mind. Maybe it's her daughter, Amelia. Um, or maybe you you see uh, a news article or watch something on TV or, or something, and you start mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, the idea of what would happen if, um, you know, a, a, a parent thinks they did this, and then, um, you know, and then then their their child is is missing, just gone. Right. Um, and you know, and then you you start kind of unwinding where that would go. Um, which comes first? Is, is it the character? Is it a, a plot idea or? Um, can, what is that first moment of of inspiration? For me, so far with the thrillers, it's always started with an idea. So what happened with where I left her was back when my daughter was, she was like in middle school. She was probably like 13. And one night I dropped her off at a friend's house. It was a friend that I knew. I knew I'd been over to the house a lot of times. Dropped her off, went back a few hours later to pick her up. And an elderly woman answered the door and was like, I don't. I'm like, I'm here to pick up Kayleen. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so it took me a minute. I was like, what? And then I looked around and realized I was 
legit at the wrong house. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I was like her friend lived in like a neighborhood of tract homes. So I had just gone over one street. So it was the exact same home in the exact same spot, but not her friend's home. And oh, so I told gosh. the lady, you know, I'm so sorry. And I drove over one block. And as I was driving over one block, I thought, oh man, that would make such a great premise for a thriller if I had been at the right house and they were telling me she wasn't there. So when I went to pick my daughter up, the first thing I said was, oh my gosh, you won't believe what happened. Like, what if I was at the right house? And she was like, mom, your brain is so weird. (laughs) You know, she was like, okay. Um, And that was, you know, a while back. And so I wrote that in like my little idea journal. And then when I was trying to come up with an idea for my second thriller, I was flipping through that idea journal and I was like, oh yes, I loved that idea. And so that's why I decided to write where I left her. (laughs) I've said it before that um, horror writers, thriller writers, crime fiction writers are are all some of the nicest people that you would ever uh, want to meet and have a conversation with. Um, <laughs> and, and they tend to write some of the most horrific things you yeah. know, that, that play <laughs> on our worst fears. Um, what do you, what is it about um, these sorts of stories? Like, like where I left her is, is a premise that absolutely could happen. I mean, it happened to mm-hmm. you. You were, you were just, you know, popped into the wrong place. It looked right to you. And and then, you know, all of your worst fears start unfolding. Um, What is it that you think that we love about these kinds of stories? Is it that we get to kind of play out these worst fears from the from the safety of our reading chair? Or what Mm -hmm. do you think it is? I think it is that. Well, for me, it definitely is that I am not a big risk taker in life. I'm a very safe person. I have a lot of. a lot of fears of a lot of things. I'm a germaphobe. I'm <laughs> scared of getting hurt. Like I'm a very careful person. And so I feel like for me in reading and in writing, I have this, like, I can live this other life and, and I can explore my greatest fears and I have a lot of them. And so there's a lot to play with. Um, I find it's fun when I'm reading and then I find it's really fun to play on the page when I'm writing. Um, the, like, more I can like the farther I can push myself in a book that I'm writing. Um, in some ways, the more therapeutic it is for me, the more I can face darkness and fear and things that I would never face in real life. Yeah. For me, it's very helpful. Well, one thing that, that I um, kept thinking about when I was reading the book um, and, uh, and I just listened to the audio book, by the way. Um, and uh, I, I highly recommend it to everyone that if uh, if you love audiobooks, this is a fantastic one. Um, but I, I was thinking that um, when I was a kid, we would we would leave home, you know, during the summertime, early in the morning, we hop on our bike, take off, you know, down the road, go to a friend's house or whatever, um, maybe show back up at home by supper time, you know, as, as the sun's right. going down. And, and no one had a clue where we were. I mean, we right. were just you know, just feral kids just roaming the neighborhood, (laughs) Um, you know, and now looking at my kids, um, you know, we have all the apps on our phones. We, we know, you know, everyone's checking in, uh, you know, all the time we have this kind of family chat um, where, where my wife and the kids are all, we're we're sending messages back and forth to each other all day. (laughs) Everyone has a good idea where everyone's located during the day. And, you know, what a contrast that is from, 
from when we were kids to now. And right. and you really play on on that that sense of security uh, in in the beginning of of where I left her, where you know Whitney is. Uh, her daughter is missing and uh, kind of air quotes missing. Um, you know, at first she, she doesn't, uh, she can't contact her. And then she starts going through, you know, the, the locate my friends app on the phone. And, right. and, and then the, the anxiety builds and builds as all of these safety nets that we have in, uh, in modern life fail her. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that is a, uh, a 21st century anxiety that you right. <laughs> just poke at and just mash <laughs> because we, we do think of those things as safety nets. And, and when those things fail, that's, that's the worst kind of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I know I still, my, my son doesn't even live at home anymore and I still will track him. Right. Um, you know, like he leaves work. And then I see that he makes it to his house and he knows I do. He still allows me to do that. He always says, if I go missing, my mom will be the one who knows. Um, but yeah, like if that app glitches or it's showing him in a weird spot or it's not updating, I do I'll call him and be like, are you okay? The app is glitching, you know, and he doesn't even live at home anymore. So it is so true. It's like, there is always that fear. Like we rely on that so heavily to know that our loved ones are safe. Um, and so I did want to play up that fear in the book for sure that Whitney was feeling because I know the way I feel, you know, when my kids aren't where they're supposed to be or the app isn't working or I can't even imagine how I would feel if I couldn't track my child, like if it was gone. (laughs) Right. We, they say that the, the sign of a, or, or, um, a great way to write uh, a suspense book is to take characters that we, uh, that we like, put them in a tree and then set the tree on fire or, yeah. you, know, and, you know, prevent them from, from being able to be happy. Um, right. so we, we've got these characters. We, you, you put us in the situation where things, you know, are, are looking like they're going awry and, and then you take away Whitney's ability to just simply solve this, um, by, by bringing up her past and, and, mm-hmm. and sending us, you know, kind of barreling downhill on this roller coaster. Um, right. <laughs> what did you think about, you know, um, what to do to Whitney to, um, to, to up the stakes and to keep the, the, the action going? Well, with Whitney, I always kind of knew, like I knew her backstory the whole time. Um, so it was more a matter of like, when was I going to start to let the reader in on that? Um, and then really what I wanted to do with her was like, you know, what it's hard with this book. Cause it's like, you don't want to give anything away, but really with her, I wanted her to get to a place where we could feel her desperation of like wanting to find her daughter, but then also still kind of trying to protect herself. Um, and that, that awful like tug of war within herself, hopefully the reader feels, um, so anyway, like I said, it's hard with the, it's really hard with this book. Cause I'm always afraid I'm going to say, and in one of these interviews, I almost said something that would have been like a huge spoiler. So, cause in my mind, I can picture it all right. Um, right. So yeah, with her, I mostly just wanted it to, uh, this to put her in the most desperate of spots where it was like, she was going to have to make some hard decisions on what, how she was going to solve this and how she was going to have to exposed some things about herself that she was not going to want to things she had held dear for very long 
I love it. Well, I'm I'm gonna let you off the hook and 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 not make you um uh, <laughs> you know give away too much about where I left okay. her. Um, but where I left her is your second thriller. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. And and you said you you're a couple of books ahead of us in yes. in the writing. Um, it, when you get up to book three or four, and you've kind of you know planted your feet firmly in the genre, and and you know you're you're writing books that that people are uh, that that are resonating with people, and they're they're liking it, and and you know they want more and more from you. Um, as you get to book three and four, um, does does your confidence as a thriller writer th- does it get easier? And and you know, do, do you get excited about um, finding new ways to to throw people off and and to keep the momentum going? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think you ever feel more confident. It's funny because I you would think that, but I sold when I was you and started working on where I left her. I've never dealt with such crippling self doubt in my life as when I wrote where I left her. Um, I just think there's something about like, oh, people love my work, and then you go to the next one and you're like, oh no, what if they don't like it? You know? Right. <laughs> I think you always kind of deal with that, but um, but yeah, with where I left her, I, it was a hard. I wrote it during the pandemic, like at the beginning of the pandemic. So I really struggled with my creativity while writing that book. Luckily, I have an amazing agent and editor who really helped me rein it in. But with book three, it was really an interesting experience. I I guess I did feel more confident writing that book. I kind of came out of my funk. I wrote that book very quickly and really felt that book. Like, it honestly is my favorite book I've ever written. It's book three. I just was able to escape from the pandemic with that book. I felt a lot of solace with it. And and then it's funny, now I'm writing book four and I'm starting to deal with the self-doubt again. And I'm kind of having to like ground myself a lot more while writing this one. And I don't know if that's a sign of where how our world keeps going up and down. <laughs> like things seem hopeful then, but it's not, you know. Um, I don't know if I'm writing that wave or if it really, if this will be the wave for me every other book. I, I don't know what it is. Um, it's just such an interesting I had never experienced this before so it's just kind of an interesting up and down um, feeling that I have <laughs> while writing well, these and, and with every book uh, you, everyone faces the same blank page at the beginning of a new book it's you know that, that's the great equalizer it's the right. blank page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I I can't wait to to for book three and book four to come out. Um, I I'm a huge fan. Uh, Amber, I love what you're doing. Um, we're gonna oh, send everyone to pick up a copy of Where I Left Her. We're gonna put links in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or paperback or audiobook, mm-hmm. and uh, and and please go visit your local bookstore and uh, let's support local books as well. Um, Amber, if if uh, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? So um, my website is just ambergarza.com. And then I am on all the social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Amber Garza author on Twitter. I'm Amber M as in Mary G as in George one, the number. Um, and then on TikTok, I'm just Amber Garza author. <laughs> Excellent. We'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Amber, um, I, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of Where I Left Her. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Hedwig slipped into David's den, the circular reading room. A ladder of crude rungs protruded from the wall, 
remnant of its days as a grain silo. He pulled himself upward, rung by rung, until the bookcases and sofas were far below. Even if he fell and died, he didn't really care anymore. No, he did care. He couldn't die yet. She had to die first. That would make their divorce final if she wanted it so much. Darkness enveloped him. He reached the top of the ladder and stepped off onto a catwalk of black mesh, lit only by the faint light of the four square windows that encircled the turret. From this perch he could see the exit she would use. He felt like an assassin, like Lee Harvey Oswald in the window of the Texas School Book Depository. But he wouldn't use a rifle, no. Rifles leave evidence. Rifles can be produced in court. Rifles can miss. He pulled back a shroud of burlap and opened the cardboard box he'd stashed up here earlier that day. He reached into it and withdrew the only murder weapon, the only magic bullet a Van Brunt could ever need. The gold lantern flashed in the moonlight. He held it up to the window. One if by land, two if by sea, he thought, and then it's time for a midnight ride. But it won't be Paul Revere, no... Not Paul Revere at all. He found the oyster knife at last. He lay his cupped palms sideways over the vent. Don't get blood on your Armani. And stabbed the blade into his palm. The blood came hot. He dripped it into the lantern, where the skull of the horseman waited to sip it like nectar. The reliquary glowed, and an incantation in Old Dutch appeared, shining from within the metal. It was time. Hedwig bent and whispered into the vents. Rise, headless, and ride. The letters vanished, and a cold white light burst from the thing. The skull wasn't just a skull anymore. It had gestated. Capillaries clung to it the way fine hair clings to the crown of a newborn. A thick, carotid artery moved with snake-like undulation, drinking blood from the pool at the base, pulling it upwards to circulate through scarlet vessels, through twisting coils, slurping the liquid greedily, the way little Zeph used to slurp strawberry Nesquik through a crazy straw. The blood pulsed and pushed into the nose, into the eyes, into the hollow cavity within the skull. But was it hollow still? Hedwig didn't think so. He felt a mind growing there, something with a will to challenge his own. He fixed his gaze to the twin caverns of its eye sockets, speaking slowly and deliberately. Jessica Bridge. The death's head grin broadened somehow, and a thread of black and green liquid, shiny as a horsefly's wings, trickled from the gap of a missing eye tooth. Only Jessica Bridge. Do you understand? He shook the lantern. Do you understand? The face lurched forward and struck the glass, leaving a red splash there. It wobbled and settled, smiling and nodding. Jessica Bridge, hissed the face. Yes. Hedwick raised the lantern a little. Jessica Bridge. The red face tipped backwards and the jaw cracked wide. Hedwick recoiled. Something pink and wet writhed inside that mouth, the nub of a new tongue, salivating as if it could taste the name. 
Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge. Jessica Bridge.